Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, what a game. What a game. You know, I never thought we'd see the day where our seniors would go ice cold. Three-pointers weren't dropping. Anti-Javon Quinterly fans were begging for Javon Quinterly to come out onto the court. And at the same time, anti-Joe Cremo people were also begging for him to be on the court. And Nova would blow an 18-point lead. I don't know if they hit 20, but they definitely hit 18. I think it was 18 was the official number. Blow an 18-point lead at the Garden. What seemed like a surefire win after such a big start went into a devastating second-half collapse where I would say pretty much a lot of the problems that you could say that Nova was dealing with this year, a lot of their flaws all came out in a matter of minutes. And unfortunately, they weren't able to pull this one out in a frustrating 71-65 to loss. I know you were at the Garden. I was at the Garden. Bunch of people we know were at the Garden. And it was a fun start. And then it became a horrible nightmare. Yeah, glad to return from the disabled list uh, to the, to this crap. You were right. It was the perfect storm of just everything wrong with this team in the, that, that last, what, 10, 5, 10 minute stretch. Just absolutely brutal. And, you know, a, a lot stems from you could talk about the coaching, you could talk about the poor shooting, you could talk about the poor defensive adjustments where it just seemed every slip screen St. John's would run. There would just be a guy wide open on the, around the perimeter and they was just never covered. It's just a variety of, of things just happening that are just, we've been saying all year are a problem, but they've kind of been masked by great shooting performances by the seniors or by anybody else who wanted to step up. But man, that, that was just, just a horrible way to lose a game that it looked like it was in the bag from the get-go. Oh, yeah. Everything in the beginning was going as planned in terms of, you know, great ball movement, great shot selection, knocking down those shots. Jermaine Samuels fighting for second chance opportunities. Beast on the board, kicking it out. Bang. Defensively, Nova was locking down on Pons, locking down on Marvin Clark. It seemed like a pretty good time. And then St. John's got that 75-foot heave at the buzzer. And it was like, oh, whatever, you know, sure, they got it. But Nova's still up by double digits, still feel good. And then second half came, and all of a sudden, Nova goes cold. And then you start thinking, all right, you know, we're still up by 14. Hopefully, we'll get out of the shooting slump. And then in a matter of 70 seconds, St. John's goes on an 11-0 run. And now we're on full-court press, full-court panic mode. You got shots that just weren't falling. Subs weren't being made. It was just a not-so-good stretch. Let's just dive into this box score for a little bit. For Nova, you had Phil Booth and Eric Pascal combined for 4 of 22 shooting on the floor. Eric Pascal went 1 for 7 from deep. Phil Booth was 0 for 6 from deep. Colin Gillespie was also ice cold. He was 1 for 7 from deep, 1 for 8 overall. He only had 4 points. Phil Booth had 13. Eric Pascal with 11. Colin Gillespie with 4. Sadiq Bey, I thought he had a pretty solid game. I mean, he was knocking down those corner threes. I think he's getting better at that. He's starting to find his shot there over these last couple of different games. He had 11 points, was 4 of 8 on the floor, 3 of 5 from deep. And then you look at the bench. Now, we were talking about how if you were anti-Quinterly, you wanted more Quinterly. If you were anti-Cremo, you wanted more Cremo. Everyone in the garden or at home rocking the blue and white, they just wanted more bench minutes. If you look at the bench production, they did a pretty solid job. Javon Quinterly only played five minutes, but he had six points. Demir Cosby Roundtree 
added six points, was three or four on the floor. He played for 21 minutes. And then Joe Cremo, he played for 20 minutes, but he was out for a big chunk of that run that St. John's was on. And he had one of his best games in a while, 14 points to lead Nova. And he was four for seven from deep. Overall, the Wildcats were just 20% on the floor in the second half. And that is just, that is abysmal. I don't think I don't think there's any way you can positively spin this because 20% for 20 minutes is not that hot. No, they had two baskets in the last eight minutes. One of them was in garbage time with the Cremo three. That was it. You had the, you, oh, I'm sorry. They had three. So you had the DCR one just under eight minutes. It was a dunk. You had the Phil Booth layup at around four and a half to go, and you had the Cremo three in garbage time. That's it. Three baskets in the last eight minutes. You're not going to win games like that on top of the poor late game free throw shooting. I know as a team, they shot 75% and I don't expect them to make every single free throw. But like when you're down six and you need three big free throws, Phil was going to line. He's only going to hit two or three. You're not going to win games. On top of many other things that went wrong. I'm just singling that out. Yeah, see, I know some people complain like, oh, is Villanova, you know, shooting too many threes? You know, in losses, this always it always brings up the debate. Like, is Nova shooting too many threes? Is it ride or die? There's a difference between getting good shot selection, moving the ball around, and the threes just aren't dropping, like as we saw in Georgetown, versus what we saw on Sunday afternoon against St. John's. It was just dribble, dribble, pop a three, contested, Maybe it goes in, maybe it doesn't. For about six minutes, there was no ball movement whatsoever. They barely swung the ball around. I'm sitting there thinking, did we forget how to share the rock? And then I'm almost sitting there thinking, looking at the scoreboard at the Garden, and I'm just realizing, wait, we're in the double bonus. St. John's is 10 fouls. Why aren't we driving to the basket? And then by the time Nova realized, hey, we should attack the basket, it was too late, and they just weren't converting. And I still believe that that Eric Pascal dunk was not a travel. I mean, I don't know. It looked like he shuffled his feet a bit. I haven't seen the replay, so I'm not 100% sure. But that would have put him right back in the game. But after that turnover, I think St. John's went down and hit two more free throws. And that pretty much was one of the final nails in the coffin. But yeah, a lot of dribbling around, a lot of poor shot selection. And the difference is Phil just wasn't hitting the shots, at least in late game situations. We've been talking about... The past few games, how he hasn't exactly been himself. We've seen that. But he, at least he, he'd show up, maybe hit some late-game free throws, hit some late-game layups, or, or the occasional dagger three. But in this game, he obviously wasn't in a rhythm, whether you can chalk that up to him being in foul trouble in the first half and he just wasn't able to get into it. Or maybe he's getting tired and he's been playing so much that he just doesn't have enough energy at the end. You even saw it with Eric Pascal a bit. A lot of his shots have been short especially from beyond the arc. It's just, he legs just aren't there, I feel like. A lot of turnovers, too, from the team. They're just kind of changing the topic a bit. Gillespie had four, I think he had. He had four turnovers, one of which was pretty bad, which where he got caught in the corner on Sadiq Bey bringing up the ball after Villanova was up 12. And then after he turned it over, St. John's goes down and hits the layup. And then Jay had that unnecessary technical to compound the error to help spearhead the St. John's run there towards the middle of the game. And yeah, it just, you had five turnovers from Pascal, three turnovers from Booth. That's just not good enough. They, this team has been actually pretty good on the turnover front. But as a team, they had 16. St. John's only had seven. That's not good enough. And, and any turnover differential like that, stark turnover turnover differential like that is going to really bite you in the butt toward the end especially in the second half when it just felt like nova was panicking felt like it was forcing a lot not really running any semblance of a half court offense or anything granted by the time they corrected it it was a little too late st john's had taken the lead and then from there nova still wasn't answering back 
So they were in trouble. But if you look at St. John's, Villanova actually did a pretty good job on Shamori Pons. If you look at Shamori Pons' stat line, he was 2 of 14 on the floor, which is nowhere near what he's typically able to do. Yes, you know, Nova did put him on the line quite a bit. So he was able to make 7 of 8 free throws to finish with 11 points. But for the most part, he was not a threat. And then you look at Marvin Clark. He was off for almost the whole entire night. He was 2 of 10 on the floor, 2 of 7 from deep. He finished with just 6 points. But it was Mustafa Heron and LJ Figueroa who just killed Nova. They just lost track of them in the second half. You know, Figueroa would come in, set a pick, and then just slip, run over to the corner or run over to the side, totally unnoticed, and then they would hit him for an open three. Same thing with Mustafa Heron. They would just hit him, and they were knocking down these threes, and there were just no adjustments to be keeping track of Figueroa, who heated up in the second half, who had a monster game, all props to him, 22 points, 12 rebounds. Didn't really feel like he was 6 of 16 on the floor, but in the second half, he was cash money, 3 of 4 from deep. And then Mustafa Heron finishing with 19 points, 5 of 9 on the floor, 2 of 4 from deep. It was just, why? Like, they, you know, the whole game was just so confusing. It just was very, it was probably one of the worst stretches of basketball I'd seen from Nova in such a long time. There were no substitutions. It felt like from the eight-minute mark until the very end, it seemed like Jay went to go ride and die with the seniors. And unfortunately, they just weren't able to get it cooking at any point in the game. No, they weren't. And the reluctance to use the bench, I know you kind of mentioned it before, but the reluctance to use the guys on the bench was pretty pretty bad. Like DCR had a pretty good game, and I know they were kind of subbing him in and out. At least the, the one guy they were actually kind of subbing in and out. and. It was just not good enough. You need a Cremo in there. I can't believe I'm saying that. But you need a Cremo in there just as a threat. You were down six points, like six, seven points. You needed to hit some threes. And it was clear Phil Booth wasn't going to do it. It was clear Pascal wasn't going to do it. You needed somebody else out there. And Gillespie, too. His shots have been short. Every shot from him from the past two to three games has been short. I don't know what's going on with him. Probably just the bad stretch. He had that great game against Georgetown. But after that, it's been... It's been downhill. Obviously, he can correct it. I trust that he will. But a lot of his shots have just been bad. Quinterly, too. Like He provided a nice little spark off the bench in five minutes. It didn't even feel like five minutes. He hit those two big threes. I know one kind of was like a lucky shot, if you want to say. But it went in. You know, he had that bad turnover, but he got back on defense and helped out. Then the next possession, he went down the court, got stuffed at the rim, and that wasn't exactly the best look. But then he had the nice little floater after creating some space for himself, and he missed it, sure. But then that's when the fun police stepped in and said, yeah, no more of that. And that was it. You didn't see him the rest of the game. That was ridiculous. I thought he would have, you know, at least changed the dynamic a bit. And they had such a big lead that it would have been nice to at least use him a little bit more, maybe take some minutes away from Booth and Gillespie. I know Booth was kind of sitting for most of the first half for foul trouble, but still, like, they had that lineup in, in there without any point guards. It was it was Pascal, Samuels, Bay, DCR, and Cremo. I was like, what what is this <laughs> monstrosity? But, like, I, I don't know. I just felt like you should have been using the guys on the bench a little bit more, and you're seeing the the effects of playing these guys for so long. The team was clearly gassed at the end. And they needed some creativity, and it just it wasn't there because the guys who were providing that were on the bench. That's fellow VU Hoopster Chris Lane said, did Jay learn from 2015 choosing Dylan Ennis over Phil Booth, picking seniority over the hot hand? Granted, the stakes for this game was not as high. Yes, Nova now is 
tied or just a half game ahead of Marquette, but Marquette beat Nova, so they would win the tiebreaker. So we no longer have that one-game cushion in terms of the conference regular season title versus an NCAA, the finality of playing in a knockout tournament. But I thought it was icing on the cake that when Joe Cremo did go in for like the final minute of play after not playing for like seven, six minutes during this St. John's run, that Cremo knocked down the three in the corner. It was just the icing on the cake. Like, of course he does. Of course he will knock it down to just kind of show we could have seen more bench minutes, especially when Nova had the big lead. There was no need to just continue with the starting five. We could have mixed it up with a few more of the bench guys. At the beginning of the St. John's run, we did see that bad lineup in which, you know, there were no playmakers on the floor. And then after that, Jay corrected it by putting in Gillespie and getting some point guards out there. But then we had the turnover, the tech on Jay, who was upset because he thought that there was a foul. But I'm sitting there thinking, why in the world was Sadiq Bey taking the ball up court when he was being pressured? There were certain decisions in this game that just made no sense to me. I don't I don't know if this was all just supposed to be one of those quote-unquote teaching moments, learning moments, because you do still have time for that. It's not like it's the end of the world. It wasn't a biggies tournament game it wasn't an ncaa tournament game but it was just one of those games where what just happened was so avoidable there were so many avoidable problems and unfortunately when the going got tough the tough just kept forcing or just kept forcing philosophies kept forcing riding with the seniors riding with seniority versus the bench who clearly you know 26 points off the bench Overall, their shooting percentages were way better than the starters. I would have rather seen more of the three guys towards the end of the lineup versus the five guys who were starting outside of Sadiq Bey, who I thought added a nice offensive spark. And also, you know, Jermaine Samuels, who continues to impress me with the way he's able to rebound the ball. I It seems like he still has the red light, but the way that he's able to rebound very much impresses me. The way he's rebounding the ball lately has just been very impressive. He had four offensive rebounds. I mean, yeah, and you're right about Bay. He's been hitting those corner threes. He's kind of finding his shot now, and he even contributed three offensive boards for himself as well. So, yeah, those two guys I thought played pretty well. And Pascal had 14 boards, but the the offense just isn't there. It's it's just – you're right, though. Every everything is just going that went wrong could have gone wrong, and a lot of compounding errors. Like I don't know how you felt about the technical. I kind of hinted at it before, but I said it was kind of unnecessary. I was like, look, there's a time and place for technicals, and usually I'm on board with it because it usually does lead to a run of your own. I, I don't know if there's any stats behind that or anything, but I kind of feel that there is some validity to like it does fire your team up, but at that point in the game, like I didn't, I didn't like it because St. John's was starting to creep its way back into it. And you just gave them two free points, bad transition defense too. a lot. Like we were mentioning that a lot of the threes for St. John's were just off screens and they would just kind of float to the corner, but like even transition wise, like the big threes from Figueroa, a lot of them were from the wing where just nobody was covering them. Everything was just falling apart and it seemed very panicky and it just, there was no control. And I think that's what kind of sucks the most about this is that this felt very controllable and felt very matter of fact for most of the game. And then even with St. John's hitting that crazy half court buzzer beater to end the first half, you're like, all right, it's, it's, I guess it's a game now, but you still felt in control. And then they built the lead back up and then it all came crashing down. I guess it's a teaching moment. It is the middle of February. You still got time to fix it. But if these problems rear their ugly head in any fashion, like they did against St. John's, this this might be a, a quick march. It was totally controllable with the tech. I wasn't a big fan of it. I wasn't sure if Jay was arguing because, you know, Colin was being double teamed in the corner there. 
And so I wasn't sure if he was trying to call timeout and the refs just didn't give it to him or if he thought, as you had told me, that, oh, maybe he thought that Colin got fouled. After the game, we did find out that the reason Jay decided to mouth off at the refs was because he thought that Gillespie was fouled. But as we saw, the refs didn't call anything. So we got a transition basket going the other way, which fired up the crowd, which was pretty much dead until that point. I mean, outside of the half-court heave or the full-court 75-foot heave, there was no real energy in the garden. But then once they got the fast break score and then you add Jay's tech on top of that, that's what got the crowd going. They were Madison Square Garden was mainly pro Nova for a while. But then once you get St. John's back into it, Johnny's squad that loves to feed off of the energy and you could tell that they were starting to brew something together. And then once they just started piling on those threes to get back right into the game, make it close and then eventually take the lead. It was just deafening in there it was loud it was shaking they were going wild jay wright's tech kind of lit the spark there yeah as i said before it usually the, the techs usually like the spark for your team but, but yeah you're right it, it lit the spark for the other team and even st john's had a tech of their own too for i think it was on figaro i don't i'm still not sure what that was on but do, do you happen to know no but I, I think he must have said something yeah probably but, but yeah like it was a fiery game right after that. Mullen was getting into it. The whole crowd was getting into it. It was very intense. So I, I guess like that was cool that they were in that type of environment. Like you said, teaching opportunity, learning opportunity, all that silver lining crap. But, man, it's you can't be blowing 19-point leads like this, especially with the Big E's regular season title, basically now coming down to that Wednesday matchup against Marquette, assuming – Everybody holds serve. Yeah, before we even dive into Georgetown and looking forward, I just need to ask you, is it a legit concern when we talk about giving the starters too many minutes, not distributing enough? Is fatigue an actual concern? Is it an actual fear? Or are we just looking too much into it? And this was just one game where everyone was just off. You know, it wasn't that their legs are tired. It wasn't that, you know, their knees are going to give out. What do you think it is? Do you think it's a legit concern or not? I think it's a legit concern, and I don't think we have to look that very far to see it's a legit concern. We go back two years ago with the Josh Hart senior team, senior year team. That team got pretty tired toward the end, and they didn't have any legs for that Wisconsin game. Now, obviously, they won the Big East title, and they won the games they were supposed to pretty much during the regular season with the exception of that Butler game at the end, But and, and the Marquette game, if you want to throw that in there too. But – like that team, we were complaining about that whole year, the minutes distribution, but that was more so just they just didn't have enough bodies. And you had the suspension for Spellman, you had the booth injury on top of various other things. But this year you have you at least have guys that you could probably use and they're just not using them. So I'd say this is a little bit more frustrating because there are ways to combat the minute distribution follies that are going on right now but i am on board the minute distribution train where it will come back to bite them in the butt 100 I, I don't know how you feel what do you think oh i mean i'm always down to give more minutes around especially when you saw cremo was playing very well he had the hot hand and i think you know if you gave him more minutes and you gave him an opportunity to thrive and maybe he cashes in a couple more threes and gets an over out of the slump and then maybe they win and then not only you know, you walk out of a win, but you see Cremo build a ton of confidence from a performance like that. Who knows where that goes moving forward? Because it seems like over the last month and a half, it seems like his shot has been so-so or, you know, not really there. And he's been subject to a lot of criticism. But if he were to have a big-time performance at the Garden, 
carry his team because he seemed like the only one who's able to really get going from deep on Sunday. That would have done loads for his confidence. And not only that, you take a lot of the stress away from an ice cold Phil Booth or an ice cold Colin Gillespie. But I'm always down for more minutes. I thought Javon Quinterly should have definitely played more. Yes, okay. You know, he followed up his first two good threes with a couple of mistakes, but there were a lot of mistakes going on. Like, he wasn't the only one who was maybe, you know, he dribbled too much. There were a lot of mistakes in that final stretch where, honestly, I was okay for change for a change because it didn't look like anything was going to work. But I definitely thought that Joe Cremo should have been out there. Substitution should have definitely been made, especially when Nova was up big. There was no need to hang with that same lineup for a huge chunk of the second half. And then by the time you make substitutions, it was just way too late. It was way too late. But we're going to have to wait and see what happens moving forward. Is this a learning moment? Do we see more Joe Cremo minutes? Do we see Joe Cremo finally start to hit a shot more or a lot more consistently? Are we getting closer to that quote-unquote Cremo game that we said may or may not happen? Probably will, just knowing law of averages. Will we see more Javon Cornerly? Will he be more of a fixture in the rotation? We're just going to wait and see. But we got a big game on Wednesday night because the rivalry games are always fun. They're always great. This is a team that we've seen already once before. The Hoyas gave Nova a game last time. I thought that Georgetown was easily right there with the Wildcats for a huge chunk of it. And maybe, you know, depending on what happens towards in the closing minutes, you don't get a 12-point double-digit win because it did not feel like that. That final score, 77-65, to 65, the last time out, was not truly indicative of this Georgetown team. Chris, I'm curious as to... What do you think is going to go differently this time? Phil Booth was ice cold for a huge chunk of the game. On Georgetown's side, Jesse Govan had zero points. Mac McClung was a non-factor. I don't think that either of those, I guess you could say, deficiencies are going to happen this time around. I'm curious just to see what you think we'll see on Wednesday night down there in D.C. Well, I hope to expect a much more improved Villanova team on the offensive side. I'm hoping for some ball movement. I'm hoping that the seniors will show up and make amends for their poor performance on Sunday. From Georgetown's side, like, yeah, Govan's definitely going to be playing, like, more than 13 minutes, and he's definitely not going to go 0 for 9 and 0 for 3 from deep. So expect him to, you know, try and combat what he did against Villanova the last time out and actually put up a solid performance. I do expect McLong to have a decent game. I feel like at home in a nice, comfortable environment for himself, I think he'll be able to put up some points. Akinjo, I expect him to have another big game. He put up 19 against Villanova last time out, and it was on 7-16 shooting, so not exactly the best performance, but he did go 3-6 from deep, and he could definitely hit the three-point ball. So... I expect him to go out there and do a pretty have a pretty good performance. I expect Pickett to contribute some points as well. And hopefully we can limit Alonzo Morning's son, Trey Morning, to less than 12 points because that was kind of a out-of-nowhere performance. Man, I have a tough time thinking about this game, predicting it. You have the, Vill- the way Villanova's been played on Sunday, and it was just absolutely horrific in the last 10 minutes. You have Georgetown, who has been absolutely horrible too. In their past two games, I think you mentioned it before, they got smacked down by Seton Hall in their most recent game. So it's two teams coming off bad performances. So something's got to give. I still think Villanova comes out victorious in this because I just don't see this type of performance replicating itself back-to-back games. But yeah, Georgetown, they got to think if this is, if there's any time to be Villanova, it's this. 
where Villanova's probably at its lowest right now after that type of performance. And they're, you know, even though they're low, they know they can't, can't get any lower. So, man, I, I still think Villanova goes there and wins, but it's I think this is going to be one of the tougher games of the year. Yeah, you know how I feel about this Georgetown team. I was hyping up this offense going into that previous matchup on Super Bowl Sunday, and I said that, you know, Jesse Govan is a great stretch big. Mac McClung and James Akinjo are great young talents, great freshman guards who you could see the potential is there, although they've both been a little bit cold over these last back-to-back losses. I think that Georgetown will definitely come in inspired because you got a chance to beat your rival. You were right there. You were very competitive. You know, they played great defense on Nova as a whole last time out, and even though they're more of an offensive-leaning team, defensively, they did everything right against Nova, and Nova just wasn't cashing in on those three-pointers that they usually would make. With Georgetown, you've definitely been looking forward to this game. You're coming off back-to-back losses, which isn't nice. You're going to be inspired to beat your rival. It's going to be at home. I'm sure that down there in D.C., it's going to be rocking. This is probably their biggest regular season game left at home. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. They, they just got Nova, and then they got DePaul and Seton Hall. So this is the last really big regular season game at home. It's going to be popping. It's going to be wild. I think for Nova, they need to get back to basics here. They played great defense uh, on Ponds. They played great defense on Marvin Clark. They played solid defense on Justin Simon, but they let Mustafa Heron get going. They let LJ Figueroa get going. I think that Nova can shut down the stars, but you can't let the second, third options go too wild here, especially with Figueroa. You can't let him go too wild. And here you can't let a guy like Joshua Blanc go off. You can't let Trey Morning go off. You can't let James Akinjo get back on track. You can't let Mac McClung get back on track. I'm very interested into seeing how this rematch goes because the first one was just such a good game. It, it, you know, it was very back and forth. It was very closely contested until Nova pulled away at the end. I would love to see how this goes. I'll be honest with you. I know it was such an ugly loss on Sunday, but and this will be another tough road game, but I think Nova will pull it out. You know, that's not me just putting a positive spin on it or just being like, oh, yeah, don't worry, guys. Like, everything's going to be good. No, I honestly think that Sunday, what happened Sunday was not characteristic or indicative of how the team has played at all. The way that they handled the last 10 minutes was not Villanova basketball. That was absolutely not what this team is. That's not their identity. And I think that they're going to get themselves or they're going to correct themselves on Wednesday night. I hope you're right. <laughs> like, I, I understand like we, we've been saying the whole time here, it was just the perfect storm of everything going wrong. And yes, that last 10 minutes isn't what this Villanova basketball team is, but I don't want them to fall into any bad habits. And this might be a good game to fall back in bad habits because of how Georgetown played them the first time around. And as I mentioned last week, Georgetown's the one team that scares me the most, especially if you have to play them a third time. Now, obviously, this is only the second, and but it is on the road. And we all know road games are just a whole different thing. So I do believe that they'll actually go in the win because I just don't see them replicating a performance like that and being as bad as they were. But Georgetown might go out there and play good and they could just beat Villanova, just flat out beat them. Do I see it happening? No, I still think Villanova wins. I'm just more scared than usual just because of the performance on Sunday. And I know it's all recency bias and all that. If Villanova wins, I'm probably like, oh, they'll probably go into Georgetown and win no problem. But it's just, I just don't know what to expect from this team anymore. I think the X factor, though, it's got to be Gillespie because the way he's been playing, as I said before, it's just been off. 
It's been shots. A lot of his shots have been short. And it just ever since that Georgetown game where he dropped 30, it just hasn't been the same. So I hopefully he's able to – I'm not expecting him to put up 30 points again, but it would be nice to see him get back on track against Georgetown or a team where he has had success against and get back on track because this team needs some secondary scoring right now, especially with the seniors being off. And I know Bay has been kind of stepping up a bit, but you need more, especially if the guys on the bench aren't going to be playing. So I'm hoping Gillespie gets back on track and kind of spearheads a victory here. I like your X factor. I like that you isolated Colin Gillespie, but I, I'm going to widen that a little bit. I think it goes out to anyone who will step up and be a big contributor on the scoring end that's not named Eric Pascal or Phil Booth. I think that finding secondary scoring outside of your seniors is very important. And we've seen that you know in games where those two weren't going, you, you had the bailout performances from other people. Now, on Sunday, we did get that bailout performance. We saw who the secondary score was going to be when those guys weren't going to be able to get going and take over or provide the punch that Nova needed when those two were just ice cold. And that was Joe Cremo. Unfortunately for Joe Cremo, he just didn't get his opportunity to play, especially in those crucial minutes where St. John's was just fighting back and taking over again. Now, on Wednesday, you know, it's a fresh start. I hopefully, you know, we'll see the two seniors get back on track, but finding that secondary scorer that's not named Pascal or Booth is going to be very, very important. You think it's going to be Gillespie? I'm feeling Sadiq Bay again. Feeling Sadiq Bay. Yeah, he's been having a good stretch of games, and those corner threes are really starting to fall off for him now. And if he can get that going, whole other world for this team offensively. The options open up, free up the seniors a bit more. And I will put a secondary X factor on watch on Joe Cremo's shot. If Sunday was the beginning of a corner being turned, I am all for it. We've seen this. Uh, Eric Pascal is the most prominent one that you think of. I'm still feeling that we're going to see that Joe Cremo game. And I hope that, you know, Wednesday will be another step closer to getting to that moment. But we're going to have to wait and see. The game will tip off this Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. A little earlier. A little early. It'll be on Fox Sports 1 for those of you who do not live in D.C. or plan on going to the game. Well, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop over the mailbag, and answer your questions that you, the listeners, have sent to us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod, leave us a question, and we'll discuss it on the show. You can ask us anything. You can also leave your questions in the comment section, and it will find its way over to us. First question is from Jeffrey Callahan, EZ at Nova. He wants to know, which loss was more painful and why, Penn or St. John's? Personally, Jeff, his vote's going over to St. John's says that we blew a huge lead on a somewhat neutral court and it was just a complete failure to adjust the lineup when needed. What do you think? I'm going to have to agree with that sentiment. Penn was just kind of embarrassing and but like it, they just kind of got beaten that and and they kind of fought their way back into it and then ended up losing. But like with this you had such a huge lead and then for them to just collapse like the way they did in the last half of the second half it was just uh not fun at all. So I would definitely say this is definitely more painful. It really depends on how you want to look at this. I mean, on one hand, you know, first of all, I just want to say I almost forgot about the pen game. That just felt like such a long time ago. Maybe it's because I'm trying to keep it in the recesses of my memory all the way in the back, locked away in a corner where it'll never be found. But now that you look at it, there were a lot of similarities. I mean, in pen, the shot selection just wasn't ideal. wasn't great, especially towards the end when Nova – miraculously had a chance to win just the plays weren't great the shot selection wasn't great and they just kind of blew their chance against st john's it was different they were all the way in front and then just kind of choked away such a big lead if you look at penn it's embarrassing it's an ivy league school 
when it came down to that, and that was the only thing standing in between Nova and a Big Five title, it was like, wow, you know, we went through Temple, we went through St. Joe's, we went through LaSalle. These are three schools that we thought at that time would be better than Penn. So we thought, oh, we went through already the other three threats, so we should be fine for the last one. That isn't exactly what happened. Meanwhile, you look at St. John's. Yes, they're up and down. Yes, it was embarrassing to lose, completely blow a 14-point lead. But you might be able to take some solace in the fact that St. John's might actually be an NCAA tournament team where if you look at Penn right now, you know, since they won the Big Five crown, they're just kind of taking a nosedive themselves in conference play. They're now three and five in the Ivy League. They might not make one of those top four playoff spots. So they might not even make the NCAA tournament. I feel you. The Sunday loss was painful, but at least it might be against an NCAA tournament team. I'm going to play a devil's advocate. And I'm going to say Penn was more embarrassing. Penn was more painful because you just don't lose to Penn. You don't lose to the Ivy League school. You don't lose to future stockbrokers and nerds. This is not what was supposed to happen here. This was not what was supposed to happen. And just looking at how Penn might not even make their own conference tournament at the pace that they're playing right now, it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. But great question. Great question, Jeffrey. Way to get us started. Next question is from Fred Rung. Anything to Colin's recent cold streak other than illness related? His entire game looks off, and I just think about Mikhail's injured ankle during a rough patch last year. Chris, I, I don't know if I've heard of anything about Colin being injured. I don't know if you have. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything or heard anything personally. No, I'm I'm still I've been mentioning it all episode. I'm still perplexed as to why Colin's just kind of fallen off a cliff the past three games, three, three, four games since that Georgetown one. And I, I guess if he's sick, are we saying he's sick? I'm, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I haven't heard anything. But if he's sick, it would at least explain it a little bit. And I guess the, the good comparison there with the Mikhail injury, because there was that ankle injury he was playing through a little bit. I think if he is sick, it's definitely limiting him. But I have not heard anything on that end. It's kind of a shame. I really hope that he turns it around because his entire game really does look off between his shots not falling down. A good chunk of them have been short over the last couple of games. And then now you see that he had turnover issues against St. John's. Really hope he's able to turn it around because he is, you know, as Jay Wright said, we are putting the highlighter, we are putting the asterisk on the sophomore class. They are the pivotal X factors to how far this team will go. Yes, you know, we got our senior leadership. We got our senior tandem in Booth and Pascal. But they're going to need some help. And they're really going to need the sophomores who are pretty much the next oldest at this point to step up. And we've seen Colin bail out the Wildcats before. He was really starting to get hot. And I think that the... Georgetown game was a nice peak to it, but I really hope that this wasn't a deal where, you know, he was doing great and now he's going to kind of regress. Really hope he gets back to playing at a high level. We're going to have to wait and see against Georgetown, but I personally have not heard of anything illness or injury related. If that is the case, then it makes a lot of sense, but I personally have not heard of anything or seen any official statement of the sort. Next question is from Briz underscore two. What led to St. John's run and Nova's meltdown? Well, we kind of talk about it. A little bit when we were recapping the game but there's just a lot of things to unpack there i mean chris uh, you know we said how it was pretty much all the quote-unquote compounding issues or all the issues and flaws that people had discussed in terms of worries about this team this year between relying too much on seniors playing the seniors too much not giving enough bench minutes relying too heavily on threes this and that at the end of the day you, would you put it on poor shot selection, poor defense, and just lack of substitution? 
if we were to pick yeah. the three major strikes on what what caused this huge meltdown, I, I would say those are probably the three. Yeah, I, I would say so. And you hinted at it before, the inability of the drive when you were in the double bonus pretty early in the second half. I mean, I guess that kind of leads into the poor shot selection, but I thought that was a pretty big thing. And also the turnovers, too, were killed killed them down the stretch as well. Yeah, just completely lost LJ Figueroa and Mustafa Heron. And with each three, I mean, we've seen it with Nova makes the threes, how hyped we get as a fan base when they start piling it on or just raining it in from three. And then you get St. John's mounting a comeback, getting the crowd back into it, reviving the garden. Ooh, ooh, it was just like a perfect storm of chaos that just wouldn't go in Nova's favor. And unfortunately, it was just such an ugly last 10 minutes of the game. Like we said, this is not in any way indicative or characteristic of Villanova basketball because that we've never seen a stretch like that before. I don't think in a long time, honestly. No, we have not. We're praying and hoping it does not continue against Georgetown. Next set of questions is from Jerry Quinn. His first one is, what are your expectations for the rest of the regular season? Chris, where are you putting the Cats? I still feel pretty good about them going into the Big East tournament. Obviously, Sunday was whatever it was. And for the Big East tournament, I still feel that they're still the class of the Big East. We still got that big matchup against Marquette. I still feel pretty good about that just because of how they finished up that game against them. Between that and the Big East tournament, I still feel that they'll have the upper hand in that. And then when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I think we're all hoping for at least a Sweet 16. I think that's, I wouldn't say that's the peak, but I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation. But if they're going to play like they did on Sunday, I don't know. But I still think they'll put that behind them, and I think they'll be okay. So I, I would say I'm a little more pessimistic than I was than on Saturday, but I don't think much has changed still. I, I, like, I'm a little bit more worried, but I, I think they'll be fine. We've seen it before. Teams that were hot for a majority of the regular season and then just kind of run out of gas or the wheels pop off of the bandwagon going into postseason play. We're hoping that's not the thing with Nova. I mean, right now, so far, this seems to be an isolated incident in terms of the St. John's meltdown. But if I'm looking at the rest of the schedule, there are five games left in the regular season at Georgetown, at Xavier versus Marquette versus Butler, and then at Seton Hall. If you even lose two of these games, granted, you want to win all of them. And I think that Nova should at least win four of the five, if not all. But if you were to lose two of them, that's still 14 and four in Big East play. And that's that's not bad at all. That's really not bad considering what the expectation was going into this year and then seeing how things kind of weren't looking so hot early on in non-con play. 14-4, and four, you're definitely going to get one or two in the biggest tournament in terms of seeding. Ideally, it would be a regular season title, but I think for the rest of regular season, I think Nova should still be pretty good. I'm not exactly too concerned yet. But I think for the rest of the regular season, they should definitely still be good. If this road trip goes absolutely disastrous, aka losing the next two, then then yeah, obviously we're going to come close to hitting the panic button. But I don't I don't think they will. Yeah, we will cross that bridge when we get to it. But for yeah. now, Jerry's second question is when did you know we were in for a game from St. John's on Sunday? I know for me personally, it was when I kept looking over at you and our friends and I was just like, you know, we're up 14. And I'm looking at the scoreboard. We're up 14 early in the second half. But it just does not feel like it. It just did not feel like it. And then once St. John's started rattling home a couple of different threes, I thought, oh, boy. Momentum is totally on their side. And I think this will be one of those wild finishes we're on for. Yeah, I remember that moment when you said, oh, we're up 14. I was like, yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> so I guess if you ha- if I had to pick a singular moment, 
I'd probably say after the J Wright technical, which extended that quick four nothing run to a six nothing run, which then became an eight nothing run and so on and so forth. So I'd say once that J Wright technical happened, they got it to within single digits, hit like a big three after, and I was like, we're in for a tough one. And then it kind of got out of hand real quick. But I know I know a lot of people were like, oh, well, after that half court heave, it was like, of course, and there, this is going to be a game now, whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure. But it was still 11 points. I still felt pretty confident going into the second half, you know, let them have their fun with that shot. But yeah, I, I'd probably say right right after that quick 6 nothing run compounded by the technical was like when I was like, yep, this is going to be a tough one. It's funny because I felt that St. John's was going to make it interesting on Sunday. But then once you saw Nova go off to that hot start, I was like, oh, well, I mean, looks like this is going to be a, a dub. Like, no, no worries here. We're just going to blow them out, I guess, at the Garden. And then we're just going to go on home and celebrate this nice win. But unfortunately, that's not how it went down. Wasn't exactly the ending I expected at all, by any means. Unfortunate, but we must move on. And that kind of ties into Jerry's last question. The last question of the day. Is the silver lining from Sunday that Joe Cremo had 14 points and was 4 of 7 from 3-point range? Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I guess it is one silver lining, for sure. I mean, 4 of 7 is a pretty good stat line. Would have liked to have seen a little bit more of them, as we said. But yes, if there is a silver lining to take from this game, it's definitely that. Hopefully he can build upon it and find a stroke for the rest of the Big East play because it hasn't been the greatest for him since the start of conference play. Hopefully, or at least hopefully, that he can find this stroke and finally have his big moment i will say that is definitely one of the silver linings definitely the main one i would say if you look at joe cremo's stats since conference play began he was shooting 25 percent from three-point range going into this last game on sunday which is not good at all not good at all and you would have never known it because it was buried underneath his almost 40 percent shooting from three-point range for the whole year which is a pretty good mark it is pretty good if you're shooting around the 40 he was a couple decimal points underneath it but if you're shooting around 40, that's great. If you're shooting above 40, awesome. He was shooting 25% from that first Big East game against DePaul through the game against Providence and then going into St. John's, 25%, not hot. And shooting 4 of 7, he's now increased his conference three-point shooting percentage to around 30, which is still not great, but it's good that he's climbing back up. Like we said, we are hoping that this is now the turning of a corner, the turning of a page. Hopefully, this is the start of the confidence building that Joe Cremo needs in his shot. Hopefully, this means he's getting more comfortable because there was not a lot of pretty things, but his shooting stroke was. His shooting stroke was great. I'll say another silver lining was the rebounding of Jermaine Samuels. I still don't know why he has the red light underneath. I'm sure that's an order. I'm sure that's someone telling him that. But, you know, the way that he can grab boards, man, he eats glass. And he's not even the biggest guy on the court, but he can jump with the best of them. And he is rumbling with the best of them. Some of those boards, he was getting over two St. John's players, three St. John's players. It seems like, you know, no matter how many guys are also trying to crash a board with him, he was coming down with it. He was just fighting for those boards, and he was great. That was another positive takeaway, especially with the athleticism of St. John's roster. And then the third silver lining, I would say, it was Sadiq Bey. I think the more that he's able to knock it down and cash in on this three-point shot again and started to become more of a consistent scoring punch like he was earlier in the season when he just kind of turned heads with his season opening debut against Morgan State. I think the more they can get closer to that, the better off this team will be. He didn't do that bad for himself. Yeah, I agree with your points there for sure. That Samuels has looked pretty damn good recently. Obviously, I would like to see him shoot more as well. We saw it against Marquette, what happens when he can shoot. 
and has the ability to shoot the ball. And I agree that it's probably an order from above that's kind of giving him the stop there. And, yes, yeah, Sadiq Bay's look great. As I said before, those corner threes are really coming to him. So if he keeps improving like that, it, it's another option for Villanova on the offensive end. And hopefully we just don't have to uh, – Villanova doesn't have to exhaust uh, Phil Booth and Eric Pascal to the, the extent that they are. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. you got many, many options. Please leave us five-star, 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 five-stars. It helps us get the show out more. It helps us reach all the Nova Nationers, not only from West Coast, East Coast, but also around the world. It really helps us get the show out there. It really helps us get the word out, so we truly appreciate it. Also, please check back at viewhoops.com. We are just pumping out content. Come join the comment section. Come join the game threads. It's a good time. It's always a great time in the comment section. And you can follow View Hoops on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at View Hoops. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Irapay5. Yes, still off the grid. <laughs> so I got nothing to promote. Follow you, Eugene. Follow View Hoops. Follow the pod. Nova Nation, hopefully tomorrow will be a better day because we can't lose to our rivals. We'll be back at it on Thursday. Enjoy your Tuesday.